So in the movie Karate Kid, the main character, if you haven't seen it, Daniel LaRusso is getting beaten up by these bullies, and he wants to be able to defend himself from the bullies, and so he signs up for karate. Uh, He uh, uh, doesn't take a a more traditional uh, class. Instead, he finds this old sensei, this karate master named Mr. Miyagi, and uh, he begins uh, to sign up, and he promises, I'll teach you karate. Instead... Mr. Miyagi has Daniel LaRusso begin doing all these chores for him. Has him wash his cars and wax his cars and paint his fence and sand his deck. You remember this, right? It's a famous scene. Wax on, wax off. You remember, yeah. And uh, and so he, he gets very frustrated. And there's this pivotal scene in the movie where he says, you know, I I wanted you to teach me karate. What good is any of this? And he's about to storm off and leave and never come back. And Miyagi says, you've learned plenty. He says, show me. So he says, all right, show me, uh, show me these motions of these chores you've been doing. And because they're perfectly ingrained in his muscle memory, secretly the whole time he's been learning these perfect karate moves uh, all the while. And Miyagi proves to be this master teacher, right? It's really a cool scene. It's a brilliant scene because you're like, wow, I, n- I never saw that coming. I didn't realize that... that that doing, the, doing these things were actually secretly the whole time the master teacher was actually training up this totally seemingly unrelated thing. Well, speaking of seemingly unrelated things, what do I do now? My introduction is the Karate Kid. <laughs> I don't know if you're uh, interested, I don't know if, you, if you're uh, into karate, but I, I tell you something that uh, has been bullying a lot of folks, and that's anxiety. Depression and worry. Anxiety has been like a bully the last several years. I don't know if it's increased. I don't know if our awareness of it has increased, but it has been like a bully. And Jesus, watch this, Jesus deals head on with the topic of anxiety. It's in one of his most famous passages in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 6. He deals with it head on. But his command, incredibly, Jesus, so so Jesus has a cure for anxiety, but watch this. He doesn't start by tackling with anxiety head on. He he does this sort of misdirect. Jesus has a cure for anxiety, but you might write this down. Jesus' cure for anxiety, surprisingly, at least surprisingly to me, starts with a command about something that we think is totally unrelated. Like Daniel LaRusso, you know, over here doing these chores, thinking, what does this have to do with karate? Jesus gives a command about where we store our treasures, and that is actually the foundation for when he talks about anxiety. Look at Matthew uh, chapter 6. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. His listeners must have thought, okay, okay, Jesus, well, you know, what, what, what does this where we store up treasure have to do with anxiety? But Jesus apparently thinks it has everything to do with it because when he gets to anxiety, if you look at verse 25, skip ahead, when he gets to the section on anxiety, he doesn't say, so now, new topic, I'd like to talk to you about do not be anxious. What he says is, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. The therefore is a connector word. In other words, he's saying, based on everything I've just said, y'all don't have to be anxious. Based on this foundation I've just built, you don't have to be anxious. So I'll say it again. Jesus' cure for anxiety doesn't start with a a command about anxiety. It starts with a command about where we store our treasures. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. 
I'm going to talk about, uh, because I think anxiety is such an important topic for our cultural moment right now, we're going to do this in two weeks. We're going to do this in, in, in two parts, I mean. Today is part one. I'm calling it Jesus' Cure for Anxiety, part one, and it's the foundation. And next week, Jesus' Cure for Anxiety, part two. And if anybody shows up next week without having viewed part one, I'm going to ask them to go back and listen to this message. Otherwise, they won't have the right foundation. So, got it? Jesus' command starts about where we store our treasures, and this is all laying the groundwork for, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. So here we go. As I said, it begins with a command. Let's start the command we find in 619. So look at chapter 6, look at verse 19. He'll give us the command and the logic behind it. The command comes in two parts. It's given in its negative form, do not do this, but instead do this, its positive form. Let's read it. Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, momentarily, we'll come back to the logic behind it. But first, just focus, focus on the command itself. It comes in negative form and positive. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth negative form, positively said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, what does that mean? Obviously, Jesus has gathered his followers, Sermon on the Mount. He's obviously forbidding something and commanding something else. What is he forbidding? Start with that. Well, maybe it'd be easier to start with what he's not forbidding. When Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, he's, th- this is not a ban on possessions. Nowhere does the Bible forbid private property. So he's not saying you can't own anything. And second, he's not saying making provision is a sin. He's not saying, he's not forbidding saving for a rainy day. You know, a life insurance policy or a retirement plan or a 401k or something. How do we know? Because the Bible actually praises the ant for storing up food in the summer that it's going to need in the lean winter months. The Bible also says in the New Testament, believers who don't provide for their family are worse than unbelievers. So clearly, Jesus is not forbidding being thoughtful and saving for a rainy day. And I don't think he's forbidding that we, you know, we're not to despise. We're, we're supposed to enjoy the good things our creator has given us so richly to enjoy. So, so he's not forbidding having possessions or making provision or enjoying the good gifts of the creator. What is he forbidding then? Jesus is forbidding the selfish accumulation of things that have no value beyond this life. Stop storing up stuff that is going to have an expiration date very, very soon. That's what he's forbidding. When he says, don't lay up for yourself or store up for yourself treasures on earth, stop selfishly accumulating things that don't have any value. John Stott would say this means extravagant, luxurious living, a hard heart that doesn't feel the colossal need of the world's poor, the foolish fantasy that a person's life consists in the abundance of possessions, materialism that tethers our heart to this earth. That's what's being forbidden. Jesus, I'll say it again, Jesus is not against treasure. He's against the kind of treasure that can be stored up on this earth. He's against laying up treasure in this earth. 
So what's he for? He's for lay up instead treasures in heaven. He's not just for it. He commands it. What does this mean? Same thing. Let's start with it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean when he says lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, he's not talking about salvation by works. He's not saying do a bunch of good deeds that somehow will tip the scales in your favor. No, the rest of scripture contradicts that. Besides, he's already talking to believers. He's, he's, it's, the, it's the sermon to his disciples. So they're already saved. They have the ultimate treasure, a person, Jesus Christ, and the ultimate destiny, a place, heaven. It's already been earned for them. Their reservation was made by the Savior Jesus. So what are these treasures in heaven? To store up treasure in heaven is to do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. Everybody see that? So in other words, to lay up treasures on earth means you've got an expiration date. They will have no value beyond this earth, this life. But treasures in heaven are just the opposite. To store up treasure in heaven means to use leverage uh, 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 use every available resource in this life to do things that will have effects that will last for eternity. Now, we'll just try to illustrate this so we, we can unpack this a little bit. Investing in God's causes here on earth and in God's people. Here are just a few examples. Um, a treasure in heaven, for example, would be the development of Christ-like character, who you are. Why? Since all we can take with us to heaven is ourselves, Having a Christ-like character would be an example of laying up treasure in heaven. Anything you can do in yourself or others to increase faith, hope, or love. Why do I say that? Because at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, he says these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And in fact, Paul would say the greatest of these is love. So, anything, so, so there would be an example of laying up treasure in heaven. Growth in the knowledge of Christ. The grass withers the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. So this is going to be something eternal. So growth, what you're doing right now is storing up treasure in heaven. The deacons get to hear this sermon twice. Double treasure, guys. Because the word of God is eternal, right? So this is an example of storing up treasure. Obviously, the, I think our minds, when we think treasure, it goes to money, and that's fine. And, and, and that is certainly an easy example but using money, using this world's money for kingdom causes, when you give money to the church or to missions or to the poor, you are, you're storing up treasure in heaven. Think about it. You're giving through the local church to a cause whose effects will ring on for eternity. See? What about prayer and evangelism? There you go. And do you think, Jesus, do you think any... Do you think any deed that's done in faith, do you think any try, just trying to reach out with somebody, share the gospel, pray for them to be saved, and then what if they get saved and are there for all eternity? How is that not an example of treasure laid up in heaven? It's beautiful to, induce, to introduce others to Christ. Now, here's the thing. You can only store up those treasures now. <laughs> Once you're in heaven, it's too late to store up those treasures. They will be enjoyed for all eternity, but you can only store them up now. Can you imagine for all eternity getting to enjoy the friendship with someone you had the privilege of leading to Christ? Can you imagine for all eternity getting to see something you gave away in its glorified form in new heaven, new earth for you to enjoy for all eternity? Listen, every Christian should give something away and don't make a big deal about it. Don't tell, any, don't tell anybody about it. And I can't, when you behold it in its glorified form in new heaven, new earth, 
I've got a few treasures laid up there because I gave them away on earth. I can't tell you what they are because then, they'll, then I'll get my reward in full. Then I'll pray on street corners and tell you I'm fasting. The point is, I've done it and I can't wait. Right? Why? There's some treasure laid up. I'm, I'm being absolutely serious. I'm being absolutely literal. And if Jesus says, no, when I, no, that's not exactly how it works. You were close, but that, then it's going to be better than what I'm imagining, not worse. So give something away and don't make a big deal about it. Give sacrificially and get to enjoy it in its glorified form for all eternity, for the glory of God. To have a deeper knowledge of Jesus. I've often said the best illustration of a reward in heaven is like having a bigger receptacle. It's like having a bigger bucket. Everybody feels blessed in heaven. Everybody feels full. But those who've spent this life preparing for the next, those who've spent life, this life, storing up those treasures in heaven, everybody's full. But it's like, it's like you know, I may be here with a little 12-ounce cup and somebody else has a big old trash can. Both of us are full to the point of overflowing. But how much richer is this person's enjoyment of the glory of God for all eternity? Now that's treasure. So to grow your character in Christ-likeness, to enjoy more of God forever and ever is treasure. You can use your time now on earth. Time, treasure, talent, to lay up treasures uh, in heaven. Uh, one last word about treasures. You may, we all have them. Uh, it, it, it's a matter of where we store them. It's a matter of what we treasure, but we all have them. Uh, if anybody were to say, Pastor, is there a way to know what we, what we treasure? I mean, I think I know what I treasure. Off the top of my head, I can think of a few things, but uh, I don't know if those are good things to treasure or bad. Is there a diagnostic, I mean, to help me think through? I think once you have a good handle on what you treasure, yeah, it, uh, uh, it, it won't it won't be too difficult to ask yourself, is this something whose effects last for all eternity or is this something whose, really, the treasure has an expiration date of this life only? It'll be pretty easy to categorize if you can kind of nail down what those treasures are. So how do I know? Different, uh, there's different ways. I, I can give you a few diagnostics. One way to know what you treasure. What do you daydream about? Where does your mind go when you have nothing else to really think about. Uh, what are those daydreams, right? If it's something that's, uh, that, 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 whose effects only last for this life, then that will tell you, wait a minute, I'm treasuring, oh, I've got to examine myself. What I, what I fantasize about, what I think about is really a this earth only kind of treasure. But when your daydreams are about things that last for eternity, I would say you're storing up treasure in heaven. Another diagnostic would be like, other than your loved ones, what would devastate you to lose? Right? Nobody wants to lose anything. That would make us sad. But what would utterly crush you? What would devastate you? And if you have so much treasure tied up in stuff that this earth can take away, it's just a diagnostic. My personal favorite is this. Um, uh, my personal favorite diagnostic to know what your heart treasures, ask yourself, what do you measure in others? Often, let me say it this way, often we measure in others what we treasure in ourselves. Uh, 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 you know, if you're, if, you're, uh, if you're not a clothes person, you probably don't even notice what other people are wearing. If you are a clothes person, you tend to measure other people. I, I give a silly example. Uh, you know what a sneakerhead is? A sneakerhead is somebody who's really into tennis shoes, really into shoes right now. It's, it's big, booming business. I mean, shoes can be sold for thousands in there. You know, so, uh, uh, so a sneakerhead's really into shoes. Uh, if you're a person who yourself really treasures shoes, I guarantee you can notice every, everybody else's shoes, right? And if you're not, you're like, footwear? I didn't, I don't, I don't know, right? 
You know, I didn't do it, right? But we, it's a silly example, but you see the point. So then take it to more serious things. If, you've, if you're a person who measures others by their education, what's their educational pedigree? Ah, that may reveal a treasure in your own life. You know, if you're a person, uh, how's their home? How's their curb appeal? Ooh, I'm dying to get inside that home. Why? Because you want to celebrate all the good gifts God has blessed them with? Mm, yeah, let's go with that, right? Really, I measure somebody because deep down it's a treasure of mine. Again, these are not necessarily good or bad, but success in business. You, you know, well, I may not be this, I may not be that, but I measure other people by success in business. And what that reveals maybe is that you measure, you treasure that. So it's just an indicator. I offer it as a diagnostic. It's not a hard and fast uh, kind of legalistic thing. But, but you got to ask yourself, okay, once I know what this treasure is, then it's real simple. Is this something that has a this earth expiration date? Or is this something whose effects are going to last for all eternity? Starting to get the point. Well, this matters, of course, for a, one logical reason which Jesus gives. And here's the thing. Jesus gives a command. Don't lay up treasures on earth. Instead, store up treasures on heaven. Because he's the Lord, he could easily have said, if some disciple said why, he could have said, because I said so. And that would have ended the discussion. He's the Lord of glory. If that's how he says the universe works, that's how it works. End of story. But Jesus is so gracious, he gives you, with unassailable logic, he tells you exactly why. And can anyone argue with Jesus? I mean, of all the things you say about Jesus, he's gentle. He's humble. He's kind. He's sacrificial. He's loving. Let us not forget, he's brilliant. He's, more, he's smarter than Einstein. You know why? He made Einstein. The reason he was able to make five loaves of bread and two fish into fish sandwiches for over 5,000, why? Because he knows the molecular structure of fish and bread and can create it and recreate it at will. He's brilliant. We give our lives to him. We trust him because he's the one who actually knows how the universe works. And you tell me if he's wrong. Is he wrong? Here's why. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? They are not secure. Moth and rust can destroy, thieves break in and steal. On the other hand, every time you lay up a treasure in heaven, you have now reallocated those funds to a place that is completely insured. It's completely safe. Neither moth nor rust destroy, and a thief cannot break in and steal. You see, he's right, isn't he? You might have wealth in real estate. Back in Jesus' day, a lot of wealth was in garments. That may seem odd to us, but remember they, they, they cast lots for Jesus' garment because it was so valuable. And he's saying, so say you got a collection of really valuable real estate in the form of all these garments. Oh, and you've protected them and you got a safe, but you, what you didn't count on, a little moth got in that closet. Just a little old moth ate away at all that value. And rust, rust can be translated worm. It just means corroded, eated, can you, uh, eaten. Can you imagine? Oh, you got all these valuable coins, but with a little moisture and a little time, rust has just eaten it away. And you might bury all your treasure inside the, the clay walls of your house. A thief can just dig right through that clay while you're asleep and steal. And if anybody says today that, no, 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 but we have advanced techniques. Now we store our money on computers. Does that make anyone feel safer? Jesus is right for all time and eternity. If you say, well, but I have real estate. Can a natural disaster or an economic collapse affect that? 
Can your money be corroded? If your great-grandfather took a stack of his life savings and put it in cash and put it in a kind of safe that was waterproof and it was airtight, no moth can get in, no moisture can get in, what do you do with that, preacher? What can eat away at a big old stack of cash from 100 years ago? Inflation. (laughs) Doesn't it? And it just corrodes it and eats it and eats it. Very uncomfortable laughter there, I hear. So Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, not because the value of earthly treasure might be lost. He's not like your financial advisor who never speaks in definite terms. This may happen. I think this would be better. This might happen. Jesus doesn't say the value might be lost. He's saying it will be lost every single time. You lay up treasure in heaven. It's not if, it's when. It's a foolish investment. Every time. You say, but no, I have insurance. I'm FDIC insured. I'm hedged against every possible outcome. Good for you until you die. Wins every time. There's an old joke about the miser. (laughs) Didn't have a lot of friends. Stingy old curmudgeon. And so he called the three people he's closest to, his his preacher, his doctor, and his lawyer. (laughs) He called them together and he said, uh, They say you can't take it with you, but I'm going to try. Hands them each an envelope. He said, and each envelope is $30,000 cash. And so what's going to happen is when they lower that casket down, I want the three of you to toss that envelope in. I know they say you can't take it with you, but I'm going to try. They go to the funeral, lower it down. Sure enough, all three men toss the envelope in. As they're walking away, the preacher's conscience gets to him. He says, guys, i got to confess I know what he told us to do, but the church needed money, so I took $10,000 out of it and only threw in $20,000. The doctor said, well, that actually makes me feel better. I, uh, I, we needed to build a new clinic, so I took out $20,000 and only threw in the $10,000. The lawyer says, I can't believe you. I can't believe the two of you. And what'd you do? I put in all $30,000. I took the cash, and I wrote a personal check for 30,000, the whole amount, every bit of it. So if you're under 30, a check is like paper Venmo. It's, the joke makes no sense. But the point is we all laugh because it's not gonna get cashed. Why? You can't take it with you. So why? You tell me, if we all get that joke and everybody says, Jesus is absolutely right, you tell me, why don't we live like it? Is this something we just say we believe? Or do we truly believe? Jesus is here offering you the ultimate insider trading tip. Insider trading's illegal. You can go to jail. It's saying, hey, I'm on the board of this corporation. You better buy the stock because there's about to be this big thing happen. Or hey, you better sell the stock because there's something cataclysmic. It's illegal. You can't do it. In this case, Jesus is legal. He's allowed it. He's saying, this kingdom is on its way out. This kingdom is on its way in. So take this kingdom currency and trade it in now for new kingdom currency. If you wait then, it will be too late. Stop laying up treasures on earth. Moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Lay up treasures in heaven. Randy Alcorn, in his excellent little book, very small, short book, The Treasure Principle. Here's his treasure, treasure principle. I love how he puts it. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. He's right. 
You absolutely can lay, Jesus, throughout the scriptures, you notice he's not against treasure. We always think, like for example, when Jesus talks to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and give to the poor. People think that's what Jesus said. Sell everything you have, give to the poor and follow me. That's not what he said. He said, sell everything you have, give to the poor, come follow me, then you will have treasure in heaven. People think he's trying to take from the rich young ruler. He's trying to Help him out. I see you're a financial guy. I see you're rich. I see you're into money. Let me put this in money terms. You can have eternal wealth. Don't you want it? He's giving him an offer. Well, Jesus' command is clear. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up those treasures in heaven. In brief remaining time here, I want to show you how. I, I've got, I've got to, that's the command. But how does this get us to anxiety? We're still left with, remember, the, the whole point is, therefore, don't be anxious. So what does this command about treasure have to do with don't be anxious? Well, it gets your heart in the right place, it gets your vision cleared up, and it gets you serving the only true God. It gets your heart in the right place, it gets your vision cleared up, and it gets you serving the only true God. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It gets your heart in the right place. Did you know your heart always follows treasure? Your heart always follows treasure. If you put your treasure somewhere safe, like heaven, your heart will be safe. If you put your treasure somewhere that can be corroded, corroded your heart will be corroded. The heart is the seed of the emotions. It's, it's really true. Heart always follows treasure. That's totally true. You, uh, for example, uh, read the news and nothing really stands out about, let's just say, for example, General Motors. You don't really care, you're not doing a deep dive. And then you go buy some shares of GM stock. Suddenly, now you're, really, now you're really interested in GM. You didn't even care about it before. But once you own stock in GM, what happened? Heart follows treasure. Now you want to know all about it. Your heart will always go where you put God's money. Notice I called it God's money. For believers, we're stewards. We're not owners. This is, this is the reason some people are really not that excited about heaven. They have very little treasure here and all their treasure here. God promises us generous heavenly rewards, magnificent, new heaven, new earth, no longer under the curse, no longer under suffering. We'll be forever with the person we were made for, Jesus, and the place he made us for, heaven. Nevertheless, many Christians dread the thought of leaving this world. Why? Each day brings us closer to death. If our treasures are on earth, that means each day we're backing away slowly and slowly from that which we treasure, and our heart longs for that. But the opposite is true. If our treasure is in heaven, each day brings us one day closer. Suppose you're giving money to, to, to support missionaries in a foreign country. Now, you, you never even noticed that country, but now that you're supporting a missionary there, now you're reading all the news. You're hooked. People who say, I want more of a heart for missions, put your treasure there. Your heart will follow. I wish I cared more about heaven. Relocate, reallocate your money from temporal things to eternal things, and watch what happens. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians 1, he was able to say, for me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why? All his treasure was laid up there. His death really would mean his gain. If you lay up treasure in heaven, you look forward to eternity. If you lay up treasure on earth, you spend your life backing away from treasures. And to that person, death really is a loss. 
Your heart will always follow treasure. Get your heart in the right place. Uh, That's the first thing it has to do with anxiety. The second thing, it gets your vision cleared up. Look at our vision. Heart, vision, and serving the only true God. Look at vision. The eye, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The eye here is a good, good illustration, right? It's how we view the world. And if that is, is twisted or off, then uh, we're, we're not able to have the right perspective. I think this is a metaphor about perspective, how we view life. If you have the proper perspective, it's going to change everything. The eye is our indicator of how we view the world, whether or not it's in alignment with reality or not. I know it's a crazy example, but the one I thought of... Um, can you imagine framing a home and building a home and you've done all this work on the home and you've used this trusty level the whole time and things just never seem right only to get to the end of that very costly and intense process? And I want to check something. And you line up that level with other levels and you realize your level is not, in fact, level. Can you imagine if your level is not level? So that means the standard you've been basing everything around is crooked. How great is that darkness? Jesus is saying, if your eye is dark, if your level is not level, then your whole life you're going to be walking around like in a crazy store where the price tags have been switched. And you're going to put a really high premium value on stuff that's worthless. And you're going to treat as worthless stuff that is of infinite value. you got to get your perspective right. We're pilgrims. We're stewards. Do you remember that old song? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. He said, we're like, uh, Randy Alcorn used the illustration, we're like, we're like employees who've been sent by our company to work abroad. We're gonna work in France for a year, away from our home, away from our family and loved ones, uh, but, but the money was so good, right? And, and so we go to France and, and, and we make all this money. He's like, you're standing there in a hotel? He's like, how do you spend your money? Like, what are you talking about? How do you spend your money? Yeah, I mean, do you bring an interior designer in to really spruce up your hotel room? Do you buy a bunch of expensive paintings for your hotel room? No. You live very simply, just the basics, just enough for food and an occasional croissant, you know. It's France, okay. But my point is, yeah, occasional little, little treats, but by and large, you live very simply. Why? What do you, what do you mean, Why? Because everything else, I'm sending all I can to my true home. Exactly. You're not interested in building up treasure there. That's not your home. You're just a pilgrim. You're an expat in your heart. Your real home somewhere else. Well, when we start to see ourselves correctly, heart gets in the right place, vision gets corrected, and then you end up serving the true God. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is where Jesus lays the final brick on his foundation for next week's teaching. Therefore, don't be anxious. It's a call to total loyalty. He's saying money is actually, it's like, like, like money it would be the kind of master that is actually okay with divided loyalties. Money's like, just give me a few days a week, a couple holy days. Money kind of likes it when you call it the almighty dollar, because almighty is obviously a term that can only truly be used of God. So when we call it the almighty dollar, money, I'm not going to lie, money likes that. 
Uh, but by and large, money doesn't care. You can serve lots of different gods as long as money's one of them. Uh, uh, Jesus says, but that's not true of God. With God, there must be total loyalty. He doesn't say no one can play two sports. You could probably be a two-sport athlete. It doesn't say no one can double major. You're allowed to double major. And it doesn't say no one can work two jobs. If you work out the schedule right, you can probably pull off two jobs. Many of you have done it. That may be possible. But Jesus is here thinking of a Roman slave and by definition ownership. And he's saying, that's what you can't do. You can't serve two masters by definition. Money, often translated as mammon, the god of material wealth, is saying, you can serve us both. Jesus says, no. If you worship money exclusively, you won't think much about God. If you worship God exclusively, you won't think much about money. But the worst would be to straddle the fence, to try to break this command at your own peril. You will agonize over God and money all the time. You'll hate the one, love the other. One day, devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both. And Jesus is saying, who's the real savior? Are you going to trust your trust fund? Are you going to put your security in securities? It's a counterfeit savior. Your heart, your vision, and your very will is at stake. Now, no one sets out to hate God. No one sets out to, no one would ever say, hey, I want to spend my life in such a way that I will hate God. Uh, No one would ever say, like, I want to despise God. You would never get there. But how how did you get there? Well, we got there because our vision was off. We, We saw with the wrong perspective. Because our heart was off. Because we broke that command, lay up treasures in heaven not treasures on earth. So this is a challenging word from Jesus. To anyone who's here and you would say, well, what do I do? I've broken this command. I've tried to serve two masters. I've not been loyal to my Lord. I haven't uh, stored up treasure in heaven, not like I should. I've stored up way too much treasure on earth. What can I do? Go to him. Tell him you love him. Tell him you're sorry. And you ask for his grace to lay up those treasures in heaven. And here's what we know. He'll forgive you. He'll set you free. He'll love you. He said, but how do you know? How can you say that? Sunday after Sunday, you always say, yeah, but it comes down to the cross. If you want to know what he thinks of you, no matter how challenging this word, look to Calvary's cross. He will forgive you. He will love you. How do you know? Here's how we know. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gave his followers, that means us, an ordinance that we would be able to look back year after year, time after time, through all these cultures and all these different years since that night he was betrayed, and we would have evidence. We would have this, this, this symbol that our faith could uh, c- come alive and, and we could remember what he did for us. And that's where we direct our hearts right now. I always try to give a little bit of instruction about the Lord's table. For those of you not familiar for what we're doing here, the Lord's Supper is an ordinance given to his followers. We follow it as best we can, the way the Lord, we we understand the Lord uh, told us to do it. Uh, It has two elements, bread first, then cup. The deacons will distribute it in that order. We'll take the bread first, the cup second. All those who are blood-bought, born-again believers, this is a meal for followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. So we invite you, encourage you to partake. If it happens that you're here and you would say, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're here because a friend invited you. First of all, I'm glad you're here. 
but you can let these elements pass you by when they come by. Why? Because they won't do you any good. So you say, was there nothing for me to receive then today? No, to the contrary. It won't do you any good to receive the symbols of the Savior. You need to receive the Savior himself. You need to pray and receive him. These things are just the symbols for the people of God. So there's something I guess you could say for everyone to receive. Receive these symbols or receive him. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 